I want to ask you a question. Do you think the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive? Luke 7, 20-23 says, When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? In that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. J.C. Ryle wrote, There is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have and think they have enough. A cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. J.C. Ryle died in 1900. So I can imagine what he would write about the state of Christianity today. Christianity in today's world has become so perverted and distorted and watered down to the point where God is appallingly portrayed as a servant to humans instead of the other way around. How sick and twisted the sinful flesh and depravity of the human mind can become. The fear of God and the offensiveness of the cross have been lost and the fault lies at the feet of the church of the true believers of Jesus Christ. It's our fault. We've allowed it to happen. We can't blame anybody else. Because other believers did it in the past, other churches and false Christians let Satan corrupt the church. It's not their fault. It's our fault because we're here now. John Stott gave a statement about the offensiveness of the gospel. He said, and I quote, I have often thanked God that he taught me this very truth very early in my Christian experience. Partly through glimpses into the pride of my own heart and partly through a glimpse into somebody else's. It was when I was uh, an undergraduate at Trinity College, Cambridge. Only recently I had come to Christ myself and now... Clumsily, I am sure, I was trying to share the good news with a fellow student. I was endeavoring to explain the great doctrine of justification by grace alone. That salvation was Christ's free gift. And that we can neither buy it nor even contribute to its purchase. For Christ had obtained it for us and was now offering it to us free of charge. Suddenly, to my intense astonishment, he says, my friend shouted three times at the top of his voice, Horrible, horrible, horrible. Such is the arrogance of the human heart that it finds the good news not glorious, which we know it is, but horrible, which it's not. He says we must deal with the fact the gospel is offensive to human pride. If what we preach as gospel is not offensive, we're doing it wrong. An inoffensive gospel is a false gospel, a damning gospel, because the only gospel that saves is the gospel that offends. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18-19, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Let me tell you, Christians, we need to defend the faith and be apologetic without apology. Don't be afraid to offend or hurt someone's feelings because, A, you're telling them the truth. And, B, the Holy Spirit backs you up. God has your back. We cannot base the gospel and its message on the feelings of others or our own. We are to preach truth no matter how much it stings. People's souls are at stake. People have to know that there is mercy, salvation, and glory only in the cross that offends them. Many people who are lost, they'll read the Bible. But the reason they do is they try to slander it or find any contradiction that would deem it to be false. But they do so in vain and to no avail, which we understand. What they don't comprehend is that they will never understand the Bible in this context until they give their hearts to Christ. Only then will the Holy Spirit illuminate their mind so that the gospel can be understood in the inspiration of God. That's why it's a living, breathing word. That's why we comprehend it. Because we've given our hearts to Christ and the Holy Spirit has opened us up so that we can understand God's word. That's why it's foolishness to those who are perishing. And if they do this, then their blank and fruitless so-called worldly wisdom can be replaced with the wisdom of God Almighty and the common sense that lost people truly lack. Have you guys noticed that? That people lack common sense? Philippians 3, 18-19 says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. You know, no matter the amount of self-discipline involved, Paul would go out of his way to make sure that the way he acted and what he did helped people to understand the gospel and not push them further away from it. We must do what we have to do by all means necessary as long as it doesn't compromise the gospel in any way. This is why Paul said, and was, all things for all people. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. But not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. That I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. We can do this without finding middle ground. And we can present the gospel in its true meaning to people in a way that they can understand that's why Christ used parables. So that the people that he was addressing would understand. We can do the same thing. We don't have to find middle ground with people. They're not going to agree with us, but that doesn't matter. We stand by the truth. 
We as Christians also have to hold ourselves accountable to the Holy Spirit and to other believers. We have to check ourselves because if the gospel that we're preaching isn't offending anybody, it's a huge indication that what we're preaching isn't the true biblical gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We must never water down, disarm, and contaminate the pure truths of the Word of God in order to make it more acceptable to the unsaved. We don't do that. And that's what the church in this country is doing, sadly enough. We have to be content that some people might hate us for the truth. Instead of having them love us for lying to them about the gospel, we have to be okay if they hate us no matter how much they mean to us. Even if they desert us or disown us, we have to tell them. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We are not preaching the true gospel today. We're so worried about offending someone or hurting someone's feelings instead of giving them the truth. If I stood here and gave you a message and you didn't walk away wanting to go to God to help you in some area of your life that's condemning you, then I'm not presenting the gospel of the Savior in the way He wanted me to do it. If you're not convicted, then I'm not doing my job that was appointed to me by God. It just means that I'm not letting the Holy Spirit speak and work through me. Basically, it would be like me preaching to you, but avoiding confronting the sins that you like and want to keep in your life. We won't touch that because they are sensitive to that issue. Sorry, I'm not going to do it. But many people do. They want to play on people's sensitivities. They don't want to hurt people's feelings. They don't want to offend anybody. Galatians 1, 6-10 says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. That was 2,000 years ago. How perverted is it now? But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So basically, I wouldn't rub you the wrong way if I gave you a hose-down message of the gospel. Would I? But, if you rub somebody the wrong way preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ... Preaching the truth of God's word and it bites you, or bites them, and I hope it does, then I'm rubbing you the right way in God's view. So how does tickling anyone's ears truly profit them? It makes them feel good? But that's only for a temporary moment. And then real life shows back up and slams them back down to the dust of the earth. Then that dark cloud of doubt and despair overcome them like a cold and dense fog. They are back to not knowing how to find their way out and how the fog of guilt, fear, and desperation can be lifted. They're back where they started. The church failed them. The so-called pastor failed them. 
and the weak-minded so-called follower of Christ failed them. How can they ever know that they are a sinner if you do not tell them that they are one? How can they ever come to Christ if they do not know what He's saving them from? If you have a church that does not preach sin, repentance, the cross, and the blood atonement of Christ, then I would say that most in that church are false converts because they do not know the true meaning of salvation in Jesus Christ and His sacrificial death and resurrection. And I tell people, it's our job as true believers. It doesn't matter here or anywhere else. Your family members, they go to a different church, your friends, it's their job to stand up. We're all supposed to stand up. We change the church. True believers change the church. If there's false doctrine, if there's false teaching, if there's a watered-down gospel that doesn't preach the saving blood of Jesus Christ, believers are supposed to stand up and stand by their conviction and defend the gospel. The gospel is not a band-aid. The gospel of Christ is the remedy and cure for the certain death of sin that seeps through the veins of every person born on this earth. Every person on earth needs to know this. And it's our job to tell them. That's what Jesus Christ told us to do. Christ has called us to give people truth with no regard to the disdain, hate, and persecution that can come back from them as a response. Because if we're not presenting the true gospel, all that we are doing is helping that lost person board their belongings on the rail car that's shuttling them straight to the pit of hell. That's all we're doing. If we're not telling them the truth, or we're watering it down, or we're making it so that their sin can be okay, that they're turning their back on the cross and on Jesus is okay, that we have these emerging churches that believe in this universalistic approach that all roads will lead to God, and they say that they're Christian churches. That they don't believe that it would be fair that God would send people to hell, which He doesn't. We send ourselves. And where we fail is because we're petrified. To tell people the actuality and representation of the Word of God in its intended form. That's where we fail. Why are we worried about offending someone? Why? What do we have to lose? We have our eternal reward. We are supposed to share that with others. Do we want people that we love to go to hell? We'll all say no, but what are we doing about it? If we're not telling them the truth of God, then we are pointing them straight into the direction of the wide path of destruction. And not to the narrow path that leads to life. That's exactly what we're doing. Mark 8.38, Jesus in his own words, Whoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Tell people they are sinners. And that they will die and go to hell if they do not repent. You don't have to do it in the same tone and structure that I am right now. You don't have to preach fire and damnation at them. But even in the most kind, sincere, and gentle, loving way, cut them to the bone. And pierce their heart so they can see what they truly are. Recall for me, remember that point when you saw 
and how you felt when you were pierced for the first time and realized that you were a lost sinner. When that two-edged sword pierced every part of your being and you realized that you had to have a Savior, that you were going to die and perish because you had sinned against God and you turned your back on the cross in Christ who bled and died on it for you. When you realized at that moment, He was all that could save you. That every drop of blood that poured from His battered body was washing you clean. That our own blood would stain our clothes, but the blood of Christ cleansed you and washed you and made you the most heavenly white garment that would be blinding to the view of any creature who gazed upon it. Do not be a coward. Am I offending you saying that? If you're not preaching Christ, you are being a coward. I'm sorry. But that's what we are when we don't tell people about Jesus. And we don't tell them in a way that offends them. Because if we're telling them the truth, it's going to offend them. You know, if they, they won't hear you, tell them again and again and again. Even when they say, please stop preaching to me or I don't want to hear it. This is a sign that the seeds have been planted because if they are saying things of that nature, it means they remember what you've said to them previously. So it's working. Just leave them be. and keep, You know, they get to that point and keep praying for them. And just wait for opportunities for them to come to you. You've done your work. Now let God do the watering. There's another side. If they're venomous and hateful towards you. You know, you've spoken your peace. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. Eventually they may come around. Eventually they may not. They may have sealed their fate. But always pray for them. So, you know, eventually these people will... They'll either be broken and, and either drop from the crevice ledge that they're clinging to that falls into the lake of fire, turning their back on Christ for the last time, or they will see the cross and the cup of wrath of God that Jesus drank from and understand that His hands are the only hands that can pull them from the ledge of perdition. They will make the choice to let go and nosedive into eternal fire, or they will see how damaged, impoverished, and without hope they truly are. Screaming out for the only hope there is in Jesus Christ to save them. Preach to them the gospel and do not back down because you might be someone's last line of defense. You might be. Preach the gospel with no remorse or sympathy toward being tolerant. Do you not know that we serve an intolerant God who did everything to save us by sacrificing His Son on the cross but will stop at nothing to cast us into the depths of hell if we do not turn from the sin that God can never dwell with. A holy God whose perfectness and pure goodness and love would destroy any sinful being within His presence. Because His excellence cannot be in the midst of imperfection. Our God who has told us time after time that sin will plague us for eternity and that Jesus Christ is the only redemption to remove the curse of iniquity from us. Stand up for Christ. Where are the men and women of God in America? It's a dying breed. I hate to say. Acts 17, 6 and 7 says, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, Those who have turned the world upside down 
have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. We are called to turn the world upside down, but we have replaced God-fearing men and women in this country with soft, tolerant, Bible-ignorant, ecumenical, politically correct, lukewarm Christians and false converts. These are the representatives of Christ in America. How sad and discouraging is that? That the true Christians have shied away and hidden a broom closet because of fear of confrontation or rejection or persecution to certain degrees. Unbelievably, they fear men greater than they fear God. That's all it is. You're scared of how someone's going to feel about you instead of caring how God is going to see your actions. Am I wrong? That's all it is. We're scared to hurt somebody's feelings. We're scared to be rejected. How quickly forgotten the gospel and what the fear of God entails and what the fear of God can do. Turn to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verses 27 through 39. Matthew 10, 27 through 39. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore whoever confesses me before men... Him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. In a nutshell, God comes first. And we are supposed to tell everybody, God comes first. We're an outrage to the world. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we should embrace it and just love them with the love of Christ so much that they cannot stand the torture of the conviction of their conscience tearing them apart inside. Love them so much they can't stand it. You know, why is the cross taken down in many places and nowhere to be found in so many so-called churches today? It's not because of tolerance. They say that's what it is. It has nothing to do with tolerance. The cross is a scandal. The cross is a scandal because the lost cannot stand the sight of it as it cuts them straight to the core of their being when they see it. They know what it stands for. They know one day they will answer to the one who died upon it in their place. You cannot play the out of sight, out of mind game with God. You can't do it. They can take down as many crosses as they want. But that won't work. 
that, that won't work. You know, but playing an out-of-sight-out-of-mind game, you know what? Your sins will find you out. If not in this life, they will when you stand and present your case before the King of Kings and the eternal judge, Jesus Christ. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. We let a handful of people in this world tell us that we Christians are intolerant and that we are hateful because we do not agree with the sin and false gods that they believe in. That we are in fear of men who can tell us to shut up or put us in jail, tax us, sue us, beat us, or kill us. So let me ask you, what example did Jesus lay down for us to follow? Did he take out important truths from the gospel, truths that people didn't like to hear, in order to please men and make more disciples for himself? Of course not. To the contrary, his preaching cut through all the false deceptions and impure motives of those who seemed to be seeking God. And he would expose the hearts of the people and proclaim the very truths that they didn't like to hear. Turn to John 6. John 6, 22-27. John 6, 22-27 says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However... Other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus knew that they followed him, not seeking eternal rewards, but with selfish motivations because he had fed them the day before with the loaves and the fish. They were seeing what else they could get from him. But Jesus cut right to the heart of the matter and said in verse 26, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. And again, Jesus says we're sealed. We're supposed to be polar opposites of the world. In it, not of it. John twelve twenty four through 26 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. That's why those who are lost think that we are delusional and ignorant and stupid and weak-minded, etc. What we know is those who are saved and secure in the power of God, sealed with the Holy Spirit, it's they who are delusional and weak-minded and ignorant and stupid of the true meaning of life, which is to serve God for His pleasure. This is why the gospel is called an offense. No one wants to hear that they are a charity case. But all fallen human beings are nothing but charity cases. Every single one of us. Would you guys agree with that? We all need help. None of us are immune from that. Ephesians 2, 1-9 says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You walked with the devil. The Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved." And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. When the Pharisees wrongly accused Jesus of having a demon, and Jesus rebuked them in John eight forty four through 47 and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus is telling them this. He's telling them, you are of your father the devil. And he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. They were accusing him of being of the devil. Accusing God of being of the devil. This applies to every person in the world right now who is not a true Christian. If they have not given their life to Christ, they are a child of the devil and will go to hell with him. Is it offensive to tell someone they are going to hell? To them, yes, but the truth hurts. There's so many churches out there, so many pastors that only talk about sin or repentance or hell. They'll talk about heaven and give everybody a false belief that's where they're going. But there's two sides to every coin, right? So if we're not telling people how they can go to heaven, what good does that do them? The gospel hurts because it goes against everything that our sinful flesh and pride want and stand for. The gospel is everything the world is not. They repel each other just like magnets repel one another. We have to change our polarity from a worldly one to a heavenly one. And that only happens when we give our lives to Jesus. The love of God is the contrary to the love of the world and the love of self. Open your mouth and tell people about Christ. You being a Christian in itself is not offensive to them. It's not the fact you're a Christian. The gospel of Jesus Christ, God's word that we follow is what offends them because it crushes their conscience and severely convicts them. That's what they hate. It's not the fact that we're a Christian and that we love them. Because what happens when something goes wrong in their lives? Who's the first person they turn to? Looking for guidance or counsel. The Christian. They'll pray for me. They'll help me. So it's not you that offends them. It's God's word. And that's the reason why the world does everything it can to shut Christians up. Or the devil does everything he can to water down or distort God's message. And he's very good at it. Romans 3, 9-18 through 18 says, What then? Are we better than they? No, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb, 
With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We have to show people. That's, that's one of the stigmas that get stuck to Christians, is they say we think we're better than them. But we're not. We're not being offensive to be higher than now or act like we're better than them. We must do it in a manner that shows them that we care not only for their life but for their soul as well. Show them with love that we would rather be hated by them than to see them choose to descend the steps of hell for eternity. If they can hate us and eventually they come to Christ, they're not going to hate us anymore. They're going to realize. They're going to come to you and say, I'm sorry. I realize now what you were trying to do for me. The gospel of Christ is exclusive. The true followers of Christ, we belong to a special group. The church, His bride, is very special. This is why the world and the lost hate it. If everyone were allowed to find their own way to God, no one would care how we did, would they? They could care less. You found your way to God. I found... That's why universalism is so popular nowadays. Everybody finds their own way to God. No, Jesus said, I'm the only way. We know that. And that offense comes because Jesus is the only way. Romans 9.33 and Isaiah 8.14 Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Jesus promised his message. The one we were told to preach to all creation would be offensive, and it is. All true Christians will experience the repercussions of the unpleasant nature of the gospel. You cannot take out the offense of the gospel, for if you do, you also remove the power of the gospel to save the lost. We can proclaim a message that makes people feel good and one that gives them hope, but the gospel will bring people face to face with their sin, and they can never find any good or hope in their life until they know the cure for that sin. That they stay in their shame unless they are broken on the rock of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. Acts 4, 8-12 Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John fifteen eighteen says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus tells us we'll be hated. We have to be okay with that. Here was God in the flesh, the Messiah, the promised Savior, standing before them to see and touch and hear. He offended them and they rejected Him. They thought the Messiah would destroy their enemies and be the King of Israel once again. They did not see that he did not only conquer the enemies of Israel and God, but he also defeated the enemies of his church. He defeated Satan. He defeated death. He defeated hell. And he defeated sin forever. Our gospel is offensive and we are to present it to the lost as such. To not do so is to forsake what Christ did for us at Calvary. We would be denying God's word if we did. Don't sugarcoat the gospel. You're not hurting anyone. And you could quite 
possibly be saving their life. Don't be like the false teachers of today who are nothing but narcissistic and lovers of money and power. Jesus said in Matthew twenty three twenty seven, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead men's bones and full of all uncleanness. Got these beautiful tombs on the outside, but the inside are nothing but dead men's bones. He told them that's what they are. The new scribes and Pharisees are alive and well in 2014. True men and women of God in this country need to grow a backbone. And fight the good fight of faith and call out these false apostates. I don't care if it's a church down the street. If you know they're preaching wrong, you have every right to stand up and say, hey, this is false teaching. If you know people that go to that church and you're hearing the things that they're taught, you better stand up and tell them, this is wrong and this is why. Let's go to Scripture. Don't do it on your own opinion. Do it with what, what God's Word says. The Bible is offensive to the lost, and if these wolves in sheep's clothing are representing Christ to the lost, then they have no hope in finding true salvation in Jesus. They're going to be stuck in either legalism or just false teaching that's going to corrupt their minds. There's nothing invasive coming from these false teachers to convict them and lay bare the unsaved person's sin. So they have no reason to come to the foot of the cross for salvation. Galatians 5, 7-11 Last one we turn to. Galatians 5, 7 through 11. It says, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Paul's saying, I'm teaching you Christ. I'm telling you the truth. It's nothing to do with circumcision. You don't have to do this to be saved. It's not a work. Paul was staunch about that. Jesus only. That was it. And that was offensive. All you have to do is call out to Jesus. And you will be saved. That's what scripture says. That's what Jesus says. That's what all the apostles say. You don't have to do anything. Anything apart from that is a work. Anything. I don't care what it is. You fall on your knees and you ask Jesus to save you. And you mean it? Do you think God's going to say, no, I can't until you go do this? I don't think so. True Christians are not meant to be tolerant and passive. I'm sorry. We're not. Jesus and the apostles were not. So why should we be? Stand up for Christ and use the sword of God's word to save as many from hell as possible. If this is offending any of you while you're hearing it, good. The cross of Christ is unpleasant and those who do not bow down to it will spend forever totally separated from God. And I'm asking any of you that haven't done that, repent and ask Christ to forgive you and save you. Because if you don't, you will die in your sin and live in darkness for eternity. Eternity. This life is nothing. Eternity. And let me ask any lost person, if anybody here really hasn't done that, or that's listening, you know, have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever lied? Are you lying if you say you haven't lied? Have you ever lusted in your heart? In your mind after someone. What did Jesus say? 
you've committed adultery in your heart. Any sin you committed in your life will stay with you to the grave, send you to hell, and you will be tormented for all eternity because of it. You will be tormented with the fact that you turned your back on God for eternity. That you will see all the opportunities in your life that you had to give your life to Jesus and you said, no, I don't want you. But while you're still breathing, there's a way out. And only one way out. That's through the belief in Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection. He died for you and me on that cross for all of our sins. Every single sin you have committed or will commit in your life, the only difference between you and me is that I asked Him to forgive me and I know in my heart that He is God and took my place on the cross to shed His blood for my sins. You don't. For my belief in that, I will go to heaven because I asked Him to save me and rule and reign in my life. You, on the other hand, will go to hell because you are rejecting what Christ did for you. All you have to do is ask Him to save you and mean it. Ask Him to forgive you and be the Lord of your life and then you can be born again and live for eternity with God. You have no idea how much your life will be changed. And when you do that, you change eternity for yourself. Think of it in that regard. Not just your life, eternity. And you make the choice when you ask Jesus to be your Savior.